It is because of that cross that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, there I am also. We believe this morning that Christ, his spirit, is amongst us. We believe that we brought him here in the person of each of us. That God doesn't live in this building. If you come here on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, it's empty. It's empty. Nothing's here. The lights are out. The heat is off. It is quiet. But when we come as the church of God, because of the cross, he is now filling this place. He is in the foyer. He is in the classrooms. He's down in the preschool area. He walks the halls. And he's in each of these pews. God is with us. Shall we stand in the presence of God? Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphims, each with six wings. With two they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the voice, at the sound of their voice, the doorpost and the foundations shook, and the temple was filled with smoke, shall we pray. Father God, into your sanctuary we come to worship you, to lift up the name of Jesus, to allow you to work in us. We freely surrender today our all. May your word go forth in the power of your might. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In February, Jackie and I were blessed to attend one of four commissioning services for missionaries of the Southern Baptist Convention. 62 individuals gave their testimony and were commissioned to go out and spread the word of God. They were doctors, media experts, businessmen. There was even a former soldier. And I had to ask him why he didn't become a chaplain. A mother expecting to deliver in just a few weeks. A family of seven single women, single men. Couples, and yes, there were a few pastors. It was one of the top five spiritual experiences in my life. It was, to use the expression, out of this world. It was God in power. They were going out to 
touch unreached men and women, unengaged affinity groups. How did these 62 men and women come to this place? I believe they followed the path of Isaiah there in our text this morning in the Old Testament, Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Because you see, missions begins with true worship. Because, you see, true worship is an experience. We come face to face with the creator of all that we see around us. We come and see him high and lifted up. He is the sovereign God. He is almighty. He is beyond our imagination. He is beyond our description. He is all-powerful. And he fills this place. He is here now. We believe it and we worship him. Notice as you read that passage of scripture there in chapter 6, not only did his brightness and not only did his glory fill the place, but the angels began as one interpreter gives it, they sang. Now let me tell you something, choir. If you get to the point that you move the foundation of this building, we've done something, okay? We may need a drum to do that. Okay, another subject. But they sang with power. They sang music and praise to God that touched the heart, that touched the soul, that even maybe, just a little bit, maybe got the foot. The tap a little bit. I don't know. Maybe it moved to the hands. And the hands had to move. But it was powerful. It was life-changing. It was glorious. And as you read that passage of the Scripture, you realize that it was an experience that they didn't want to leave. Have you ever been in church? That you didn't worry about what time it was? Were you ever in church that it really didn't matter how long it went? Because the power of God was moving and lives were being changed? You didn't want to leave that moment. It was the sweet spot. It was like hitting that baseball right where it was supposed to be hit, going as far as it could go. You knew you were in the presence of God. You knew the power of God was working, and you did not want to leave. That's what church ought to be about. Not about clocks, not about procedures. It ought to be a place that we come to meet God. And when we meet God, it is that refuge. But I also see that true worship is interactive because it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, God revealed himself. I saw the Lord. King Uzziah had built a kingdom. It had prospered. It had economic prosperity. But when he died, it was also a place of social social injustice, oppression. It brought chaos in the land. The political structure collapsed. There was uncertainty in the future. But God was moving. God doesn't want to just meet with us here on Sunday morning. 
He wants to go with us to our homes. He wants to be there in those discussions we have with our spouses. He wants to be there in those discussions with our children. He wants to be there as we're watching television. He wants to be there as we're eating our meal. He wants to be there in those times that we sense his presence. He wants to be in our office. Oh, would it be something if he was in our offices? And all the things that go on and the things that are said. He wants to be in our classrooms. He wants to be there as we study and as we listen and as we learn. He wants to be on that ballpark. He wants to be a testimony there. He wants to see how we're going to act when injustice takes place. He wants to see how we're going to act when we're rejected. He wants to see how we're going to act, and he wants to be there and strengthen us and encourage us. He wants to be there in that doctor's office. When that doctor has called you and said, I need to see you, I have the results of your test. He wants to be there when that doctor says, it's stage four. And you're going to have to make a decision. Do we do the treatments? Or do we live the three to four months with cancer? He wants to be there. He's promised to be there. You see, when we worship God, he reveals himself. He reveals his love. He says, no greater love have any man than this, that he lay down his life for his brother. He wants to reveal that love in a world of hate, in a world of destruction, in a world of rejection. He wants to reveal a love that man cannot understand, that man find hard to accept. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to reveal his will in what we call salvation history. Record it where? In his word. From cover to cover, every page is filled with, I love you. I'll forgive you. I want you to be part of my family. I want to be there in those darkest hours. But notice the second thing. Mission is not only true worship. But mission demands transformation in verse 5 through 7 you read there in Isaiah. It requires that a change take place. It requires that we accept our true condition. Verse 5, Isaiah sees himself as God sees him. He sees himself and he says what? Man, I'm doing pretty good. No, that's not what he says. He's not saying, well, I'm just as good as anybody else. That's not what he says. When he sees God, when he sees the glory of God, when he feels the power of God, he goes, woe is me. I'm condemned. I'm a sinner. We need to see our condition. Paul tells us there in Ephesians, the second chapter, he says that we're lost without hope. He says, remember that at that time when you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. What? Without hope and without God. That is our condition. That is our condition. We are separated from God. We can't enjoy his presence. We can't receive his forgiveness. We are separated from him, condemned to judgment, condemned to eternity without him. 
Whereas the woman at the well, needing to drink from that living water. For we have five husbands. And we don't even know what's really going on in our life, so it's so confusing. We're like Paul on the road to Damascus, a religious man. He had all the degrees. He was enthusiastic. He was zealous. He was a powerful man in Judaism. But God had to touch him, didn't he? You see, mission is transformational because we have to accept the grace of God. 1958. In a small mission church in Tucson, Arizona, there was a man. There was a man that started a church that every Saturday he would go out with the men of the church and they would lay the foundation of that building. And once they laid the foundation, they put that floor in and they began to hoist the sides. And that building, partially built, Met in an old educational park. It must not have helped more than a hundred people. On one particular Sunday morning, Bill Duncan got up and he preached God's word. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of an eight-year-old boy. I can take you to the place. And I walked that aisle that Sunday. Bill opened his Bible. And he took me down the Romans road. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. That night, we didn't wait long. That night, he put us in the Baptist, in the baptistry. Do you remember that night, that day? Do you remember the person that led you to the Lord? Do you have their name upon your tongue? Can you say it? Why don't you just say it right now? On the count of three, the person that led you to the Lord. One, two, three. Bill Duncan. Remember that night? Wasn't that a glorious time? Wasn't that a fantastic time? And Darlene, you're sitting in the wrong place. (laughs) I just realized Darlene is supposed to sit over there. That's where Darlene is supposed to sit. I remember that night. A powerful night. Transforming not only my condition, but transforming my worldview. Because you see, missions requires that I understand my worldview as the word of God understands it. It says that Jesus is the only way. In John 14, he says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. But Lord, you've got to understand, there are people that have never heard. Lord, you've got to understand, there are people that, that have a hard time. In understanding, Jesus says, I am the way. There's not a philosophy. There's not a religion. There's not an understanding. There is no way but through Jesus Christ. And unless we understand that, we cannot be on mission. To be on mission understands that Jesus is the way. To understand missions, we have to understand that they have to hear the gospel. Romans 10, 14 says, How then shall they call on him? How can they be saved in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, a proclaimer, 
a giver. And how shall they preach unless they've been sent? That's God's worldview. His worldview says our false belief that somehow God will not do what he says. We have this idea that it's going to be okay in the sweet by and by. We have this idea that God is so loving and so kind and so uh, merciful that he is just going to let us in the back door. We think that our brothers and our sisters who have rejected Christ are going to be able to come in the back door. We think our moms and dads are going to be able to come in the back door. We think our aunts and uncles are going to be able to come in the back door. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not true. He has to change our worldview if we're going to go. Missions is a team activity. Last week, Chris preached Matthew 28, in which it said, go ye. He brought the 11, didn't he? He brought the 11 together. They assembled there. And he said, I need you. I want you. I command you. I commission you to go ye into the world. And then in Acts, the first chapter, verse 8, he says, go, Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We believe that as Southern Baptists. I'm a Southern Baptist today because I believe that missions is a cooperative idea. We come together. I can't send a missionary on the field by myself. I can't support him as he goes. I can't give him what he needs by myself. We can't do it as a church. We don't have enough money in this world to do that as a church. We come together as a team cooperatively working with other churches, sharing the gospel putting over 4,000, almost 5,000 missionaries on the field every single day, feeding them, clothing them, putting a roof over their head, giving them transportation. And we do that as Southern Baptists. We support the cooperative program. And we teach it where? In Mission Friends. We teach it where? In RAs. We teach it where? In GAs. We teach it in WMU. We teach it in brotherhood. You go, preacher, come on. That's old-fashioned. Mission friends and RAs and GAs and WMU and brotherhood, they've just had their day. They may have had their day as a program, but they have not had their day as a purpose. There's a need to teach our children missions. There's a need to teach our young people missions. There's a need for women to gather together and study and support missions. Do you know how many women's groups have put missionaries on the field? you know how many WMU directors I've had beat me up over 40 years? They have beat the stuffing out of me. I would say other things. They have they have, there's always been one, Ron. There has always been one that would just, I'm going to do WMU. I am the WMU director, and we're going to do Lottie Moon, Andy Armstrong. We're going to do it if it kills us. And it almost killed us a few times. But there's a need. And as much as it's become old hat, and as much as we become comfortable with it, and as much as we think it's old-fashioned, 
There is a need to teach missions. There's a need to be on missions. There's a need to understand because there's been a change that has taken place. There's been a change in missions, and many times we've been unfamiliar with it. Churches are to be sending stations, rest stops, gas stations. Churches are not supposed to be houses. Churches are not a place that we just come and sit. It is a place that you come and get refilled and move out. And get on that, on board in proclaiming the gospel. It is a place that we refresh ourselves. That we bandage the wounds. That we put salve on the sores. And we send people armed, equipped, ready to meet the challenges of an ungodly world. Of a hateful world. Of a despising world. God still calls men and women. Isaiah 6 says, Then I heard the Lord ask, Whom shall I send as a messenger to my people? Who will go? And I said, Lord, I'll go. Send me. The Holy Spirit still calls today. Luke says, The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Luke, the 10th chapter. You need to take that and you need to underline it. Like lambs among wolves. You know, I never fully understood that. Because you see, I live in the South. And to tell somebody I'm a Christian or I'm a Baptist, that's just norm, right? That's just norm. But that's not what God has called us to. Notice, young person, teenager, down in your your pew right now, okay? God wants you to surrender your dream. He wants your dream to be his dream. Well, I want to go to to an A school, whatever that A means. That's where I want to go. I've planned for it all my life. I got it stapled on every piece of clothes I have. And if I could get it tattooed on me so that my mom couldn't find it, I'd do it. God wants you to surrender that. Alex, God wants you to surrender that. He wants to surrender your dream lifestyle. Ah, if I could just live, if I could just live up there, okay? All those houses every night that light up, and we down here in the valley look up at them, and we go, that's where I want to go. I want that six-figure job. I want to see that check come in, that money come in. I want to be able to get on an airplane and fly anywhere I want to fly. I want to be able to walk into a store and buy anything I want to buy. Those lifestyle dreams, you need to surrender. You need to surrender to God. Your talents that God's given you, some God has blessed you. I saw a picture of talented people 
in the newspaper. I even saw it on our Facebook, didn't you? Wasn't it a great picture? But God wants you to surrender that. He wants you to surrender that. He even wants you to surrender your boyfriend and your girlfriend. He says, if you love mom or dad, wife, brother, sister, more than me, you'll have no part of the kingdom. Your dream needs to be God's dream. Your calling needs to be. Now, God, can God call you to an A school? Sure he can. He does it all the time, right? But you need to make sure God's called you there. Mama can't call you there. Daddy can't call you there. Ma, God's got to call you. Mom and dad, there's surrender on your part. Because you know, you may have to sell your house. And you go, in this economy, you may have to sell your house. You may even have to quit your job. You may even have to move from your hometown, away from family, away from your comfort zone, away from your foods that you like, barbecue, okay, and give it up for kimchi. You may have to give up great weather, 80 degrees, for 50 or 40. You may have to give up commissions, conveniences. How do I know that? Because you see, in order to become a Southern Baptist missionary, you got to quit your job. In order to become a Southern Baptist missionary, you can't have any bills. In order to become a Southern Baptist missionary, you have to sell your car. You have to sell your furniture. My son-in-law and daughter sold their house in 30 days. Unbelievable in this economy, but possible with God doing it. They had to sell their car, and they were upside down in it, and God sold their car. They had to sell their furniture, and they thought, man, we're going to have to have yard sale after yard sale after yard sale. church member came to them and says, I'll buy every piece of furniture in your house and wrote them a check. They had to leave Dallas, Texas, which they think is God's home place. Okay? They believe Texas is created by God and it's the only place in the world that's been blessed by God. And they had to leave Dallas. They had to take three kids into a society that hates Christians. In a society that jails Christians. In a country that doesn't want missionaries. And if they find out that you're a missionary, they will, ex- they will deport you. They're taking my three grandkids into that kind of place. I can tell you, I don't mind going. I have a problem in sending. Okay? I'll send your kids. I'll send you. Okay? 
We'll come up here and have a great service, okay? But it's part of me, and that's hard. When I think about this, I think about Jimmy. Jimmy had to quit his job. He had to sell his house. He had to move north. Not far, but he moved north, right? They're not like us in Birmingham. God called him, right? God called him. He obeyed. And God's going to bless him. We're calling us to a dangerous world. God still says, whom will I send? He says that to millions of us. Who will reach out to the unengaged? You noticed in the sermon title this morning, it's a website. And some of you iPad guys have already been there. And that's good. Because you see, it's a website. You say, well, I just don't know what I can do. I've got all these entanglements. I got a job. I've got kids. I've got a house. I've got a dog. I've got a cat. I've got birds in the backyard. I've got so much that entangles me. I just don't know if I can go. You go to the website. Okay? Go to the website. There's 75 jobs, volunteer jobs, that you can do. Many of them you don't have to speak a language. Many of them you can go and use the skills and talents that you have. Young people, you can find out about journeymen. You can find out about career missions. And they even have a job for us old guys. Okay? We can go. And we can be that which God has called. God is still calling. He's still reaching. Have you seen the face of God? Is he moving your spirit? Is he reaching out to you this morning? Is he saying, will you go? Will you surrender? Will you give your all? As we close this morning... There's a song that says, I surrender all, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, make me Savior wholly thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit truly knowing thou art mine. I surrender all, Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me. Is that your prayer this morning? You need to step out. You need to move out from where you're at. You need to take the hand of those that stand at the front. And you need to pray with them. You need to commit. You need to make that decision this day. Shall we pray? Father God, we come now during these moments. We ask that your spirit move amongst us in a powerful way. Direct that all that we say and do will bring honor and glory to thy name. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.